Jurassic Park 3 Minute. We'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're back to discuss Minute 51 of Jurassic Park 3. But before we get to that, David, um, we're a little bit late to this story. A couple of weeks ago, Chronicle Collectibles, um, who have been quiet for some time, uh, put out a uh, product pre-order for a new Dilophosaurus from Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, and... Yeah, they did, and it comes with a base. I think the sign as well, the uh, East Stock sign mm. on the base. And then a really neat feature is that it has removable heads. One head uh, with the frill down and the other head with the frill. And it's really, really nicely detailed, too, because um, when, the, when the Dilophosaurus kind of rears its frill up, it has a snarling kind of look to it with it really shows off something a feature on the animal called the subnarial gap which is basically a gap uh, kind of like a gap in the, in the two bones of the jawbone and where the teeth kind of um kind of go upward into the skull and it's really n- neat that uh, chronicle actually took the time to have this feature on the figure yeah yeah but as i was saying before like the the um, paint looks fantastic. Detail they've gone to on it. 900 US. That's <laughs> that's up for pre-order for. Uh, it's due second quarter of 2020, so you've got um, got nearly a year, or just over a year to uh, yeah to get it get it paid off. Um, well, like 16 inches tall and 19 inches long, and uh, 16 inches deep. So it's a big big display stand. It's got that sign, as you said, it's posed on top of the uh, East Dock sign. And it comes with a little Barbasol can as well. Yeah, so it's a one, oh, one-fourth scale Barbasol can. So that's how big that one is. And, um, yeah, so I I love the Dilophosaurus. I um, I might be tempted <laughs> tempted to jump on the pre-order for this one. Uh, so this will be your pre-order. I'm still waiting for the, um, the what is it, the... Um, was it the Prime one? I think did the, the uh, those they're like sixty dollar little minifigures. Uh, and they did the Triceratops, the T Rex, and they're going to be doing the Brachiosaurus. Yeah, yeah, I think that was Prime one. Yeah. So I'm waiting for that one to show up for pre-order. Yeah, yep. I've still got a hundred bucks to go on my night vision goggles, so I better get that paid off and so I can get shipped out as well. Mm-hmm. I keep forgetting about that. <laughs> I'm still I'm here waiting for the um for the Iron Studios Crouching Raptor to ship here from eBay. Yep, yep. Then we'll have some goodies to talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some bigger, more expensive, pricier scores to talk about come this summer. Yeah, yep. Don't do that again. I'm sorry. Lose you, it's just me and the damn tourists. Alright, Dave, ready to get into minute 51? Sure. As we went in minute 50 of Jurassic Park 3, Billy had climbed down to the jungle floor and checked that the coast was clear. At the four second mark, we cut to a view down the river through Owen's binoculars, and he says, Yeah, there's a boat. Looks in good shape, too. Eric gets excited and says, Rescue boat? And Alan says, no, no, something left behind. At the 22nd mark, we cut back to the jungle, 
as Billy's taking a drink from the stream. Paul's relieving himself up on a bank. He finishes and joins the others. Billy says we stick to the plan and head for the coast. Amanda asks, you're not looking for Dr. Grant? And Billy replies, heading for the coast was Grant's idea. If he's alive, that's where he's heading. Amanda asks, well, what about Eric? And then Paul says something that I don't really want to repeat here because it's stupid. At the 56 second mark, we cut to a Eric holding a raptor claw and asks Grant, do you know what this is? And as the minute ends, Grant says, yeah, it's a raptor claw. I used to have one as a fossil. As we open, we get the final shots of, uh, or the final seconds of Paul and Amanda sort of high up in that tree, starting their descent. Um, then we cut to a view through the binoculars, looking down at the CG River, and uh, there's a boat beached on one side that appears to be, oh, with what appears to be several crates sort of submerged in the water all the way around and a heap of uh, junk and debris. Um, but it's, uh, as we sort of look back, we see it's at the base of a pretty tall canyon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was actually done on a set in front of a blue screen. It's it's one of the few uses of like just a blue screen and small set. It's actually like I wonder if it might have been a pickup shot or something because the set is like so small. It's like a seven by seven foot by seven foot set, just a tree <laughs> and basically a backdrop and some ferns and stuff and that's it yeah and then there's then the other the opposite side of them is a um is a blue screen they're staring at the blue screen mm, yeah we'll have to put the photo on the on the post it up when uh when this episode goes up because yeah it's, it's real funny just seeing them two standing in this little patch of grass and very small jungle segment it just goes to show how much this if this shot's been sort of added digitally. <laughs> mm-hmm. The background, of course, you can see it's a bit fuzzy and not, not the best CG. And, but even just the foreground, all the stuff around them, <laughs> how much that's been added. Um, but the boat itself down the river, this is our first, uh, from memory, our first evidence or proof that InGen was working there after the dinosaurs had been released. Yes, we had the fence around the worker village, but here we're seeing yeah. cages out in the wild. Mm-hmm. Unless this was some sort of uh, access point from the lab to the hut to a harbour, or this is the the route they took animals previously, and just they um, when they evacuated, this boat was never taken back to the lab or back to the harbour, or it was at the harbour and got washed inland with the uh, mm-hmm. with the hurricane. Again, another one of those things we just will never know, but there's more cages littering the ground here than what would fit on that boat, so they wouldn't have drifted in mm-hmm. in the storm, in the tide or anything like that, so it's it's a wonder how they um, how all this gets here. Well, I believe that um, the idea of an in-gen... Um, what is it? The in-harbor uh, kind of comes from concept art of the attack scene from... Uh, the Spinosaurus attack, where we see the crane, and then it's got like a bun- it's got like a bun- it's got like a basically wooden dock with a bunch of small boats around it. Hmm. And I like to think that um, what how that the barge here in the cages was had something to do with um, just something not well as obviously said something left behind, but it was something that. Um, 
engine was using to basically transport back uh, from the laboratories area downriver to a probably a larger harbor where they would be shipped presumably to Isla Nublar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we we talked when we were back in the kennel of just obviously these animals would have been kept for a few months, made sure they were um, doing well, but then got shipped over just practically. You're not going to ship a nine-ton triceratops or something like that from sauna to uh, no. Nublar. You're going to send them over there and as, as small as possible, just mm-hmm. so you can either stack the cages on the boat or um, or be a lot, lot less handling involved anyway. <laughs> but we also know from, um, at least it was meant to be implied as such, that uh, InGen released their animals into the into their park at a younger age because both in the novel and originally scripted for the film, Lex would encounter a baby Triceratops, which she would then ride. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we had the juvenile T-Rex in the novel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of... I suppose we can talk more about when we get to the boat itself in later minutes, but it might be just trespasser clouding my uh, thoughts here but i'm pretty sure it's implied later or somewhere production that um the boat itself was used for monitoring or studying the animals in the wild and that's why the cage is there and it's got the it looks like a it's just like the um the cage on the high height it's sort of a safety thing for anyone in the boat but i think i'm thinking more of the emily from trespasser <laughs> without sailing around and spying the animals from offshore Mm-hmm. Also, it being at the base of this canyon, I wonder if this might have been um, Grant seeing this and going, okay, well, this is what we can use that parachute for. If they can't find a way down, they're going to have to send Billy down to get it and sort of see if he can get the boat moving and go downstream more to a place where they can actually all get down to it. Because it's pretty, it's pretty rough-looking terrain here to get down there. Mm. But uh, Grant says there's a boat right along the bank, and it looks in good shape too. And hands the binoculars off to Eric, and uh, Eric sort of lights up at this and says, Rescue boat? And Grant sort of stands to walk past and said, Nah, something left behind. <laughs> again. And then again here, like eight years later, this boat's still floating, <laughs> and all this stuff's still in the water after countless storms and everything else that would have hit the island. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I suppose that had it really not just, if it's just kind of like wedged there on a rock or something it's not really gonna move it's not really gonna go anywhere you know yeah it must be you'd assume it's far enough inland that it's not tidal that it's not gonna raise mm-hmm. and lower off the tides but I don't with the size sauna is I don't know if there'd be any bodies of water like this that wouldn't be tidal you get sort of further upstream unless there's some sort of um maybe not man-made levee or something further down that that sort of mm-hmm. keeps the water up up here because especially if you're going to have a harbour inland like um like that marina that we see later um you're going to want water to stay there if you've got boats tied up while the tide goes out especially if it's only a small river like this but mm-hmm. that's something yeah something i haven't thought about before <laughs> um but we cut behind them as they turn to walk away and they walk inland from there, mm-hmm. and you can again see that massive canyon before behind them, and the um, yeah, and 
It's interesting because the canyon kind of seems to split, and in the further background, it just goes back into normal mountains. Whereas on the other side, closer to the actors, the it's basically a sheer cliff going right into the river. Mm. And presumably, further off screen someplace, the um, would be the aviary, which we see no hint of from this wide shot. Yeah. Well, as they turn to walk away, you can see the bottom of the canyon is really foggy, and it makes me wonder how Grant's seen the boat. There must be a patch further down where the fog isn't as thick, but um, mm. you sort of here again, you're getting getting the um, the signs of this fog still sort of clinging to low lying low lying areas of the island and down above this river. Mm-hmm. But we cut to a stream as uh, Billy's taking a drink from the water, and on the far side of the bank. Uh, Paul's going to the toilet. Now, we, um, there was that photo from a cutscene that came out a while ago that showed Paul urinating on the side of the bank. I thought that was a cutscene itself. I didn't realise that this was actually in this film, unless this is a different version of the film itself. No, no, this is actually in the film. It's, um, something, it's very brief in the film. I mean, it, it, it's probably a couple frames as you can see here that you see him actually going you know and then billy drinking out of the water it's almost a blinker if you and you miss it kind of thing well i seem to think there's there's some fan laughter that paul was urinating into the water and Mm -hmm. billy was then drinking it but billy's the water's going the wrong way billy's upstream and and on the other side other side of the creek from where he's Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the funny thing because the stream is going towards Paul, not from Paul. Yeah. But if you take it, but if you just take a screen cap of the image, I mean of the scene oh, and okay. show, <laughs> and you got Billy drinking the water and one and <laughs> and uh, Paul peeing, it, you can't tell which direction the water is going. So it looks like Paul's urine is going towards Billy. Oh, that explains it all. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that it's funny. If you don't explain it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the, the real the real issue here is he's he's weighing uphill. <laughs> but men men know not to do that. <laughs> you can get it all over your shoes. But um <clears throat> it doesn't seem to be a real outdoorsy type. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but uh Paul finishes and sort of hops back across the rocks upstream to where Billy is and uh Amanda's there waiting for him and sort of Billy says we stick to the plan, head for the coast. And Amanda asks, uh, you're not going to look for Dr. Grant? And Billy says, following the coast was Alan's idea. If he's still alive, that's where he's heading. So they're um, they're not going to try and find each other. They're just going to try and get to the coast and hope they meet up along the way somewhere or <laughs> find the same beach. <laughs> it's a little bit of a prob- problematic idea, but I suppose if one of them gets rescued, then they can tell the rescuers that uh, there's other people that should be on the beach as well, make them a lot easier to find. But uh, Paul agrees, but um, Amanda doesn't and asks, what about Eric? And uh, we get some um, dialogue here, which I'm not a fan of. Paul says, Eric's a smart kid. He probably knows he stands the best chance by the coast. He figures all the big dinosaurs are in the centre of the island. Which, I don't know if it's just a callback to Hammond's office, where... Our satellite infrared sh- show all the uh, carnivores on the interior of the island. If it's mm-hmm. trying playing to that, or because it's just yeah, Paul's just saying 
saying that um, Eric knows that being on the coast is the best idea, even though we've just seen he spent the last eight weeks, to the best of our knowledge, in the mm-hmm. very centre of the island at this lab. Well, the other thing is, is that for some reason, Eric then contradicts Hammond's infrared. And Eric never really says how much of the island he explored. So it's kind of interesting because he makes the, he makes this worried comment that, and I think this is in the next minute, that the closer you get to the coast, the bigger things get. Well, and close. so that kind of would kind of imply that big carnivores are on the coast, which well, it's completely contradicts Ham- what Hammond's pre-established uh, infrared has shown. Yeah, well, Eric says the closer you get to water, and we know from the map of Sauna and that, that there's these like this large Kenya system and lake mm-hmm. system, it seems, in the middle of the island. So, But yeah, it does sort of, does sort of ask that question. Now, maybe, again, four years after those satellites were taken, maybe there's been some change especially if, if DPG is to be believed and the Spinosaur and all that's been released mm-hmm. and grown on the island after the after the Lost World, it's sort of changing animals' territories and that sort of thing, yeah. nesting sites. Well, another thing that changed after um, the beginning of the movie of the Lost World was that the territories established in that movie had been altered by the presence of the hunters and the gatherers on the island Simply moving the infant changed the Rex's territory, which I'm sure changed other uh, predators' territories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wonder. I was going to mention that because I wonder if um, even even just the fact that the baby was taken from the nest, if that would then cause the Rexes to change nesting locations. Um, mm-hmm. Even just the the um, consequences of the roundup itself, capturing animals on that um, game trail, if that would scare animals, certain animals away from that area. Um, and as we've seen, the Trenosaurs got almost all the way to the worker village, so that might have... Even though they're, at the time, they're top dog and probably aren't really worried about the raptors or all that as well. But yeah, you just got to wonder how much of that the nesting sites and that got thrown into chaos by that, <laughs> that operation. And here we are four years later and there's sort of things have moved around or... It just again, it's, we don't see any nests in this film apart from the raptor nest and the tyrannosaur nest last movie. We mm-hmm. don't see any herbivores nesting at all, which is a shame. But um, Paul looks to Billy, sort of asks right, looking for confirmation from Billy. But he sort of takes a moment and replies slowly, "Sure." And then they set mm-hmm. off into the jungle. It's Billy's acting a bit cagey here. I don't know if he just doesn't want to confirm it or if um. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Oh, I, I think he's still not a fan of the Kirby's. Then I think he just doesn't... I think he feels like um, Paul doesn't really know what he's talking about and he doesn't want to kind of scare him by making him feel like um, large animals would seek water. Yeah. Because that is something that Roland does bring, out, bring up in um, The Lost World was... The lagoon was a heavily used water source and out in the open, and basically that kind of spoke to him that it'd be something that large predators would be attracted to, hmm. you know? Well, there's there's another thing just with that of um, the tidal stuff. Like, if the, the, 
if the uh, if the boat went far enough inland for that water to become fresh water and not salt water for the animals to be able to drink from it and have the captain come back to that same spot mm-hmm. um, even though the, the the shot itself I think was filmed across from the um, the port on Hawaii, Hawaii I can't say it. Uh, Hawaii um, yeah it was it was it was filmed I think in the same exact harbor that um, the lost. It was filmed on the opposite side of the same exact harbor that Spielberg shot the um, the wave crashing over the break uh, the breakwater. Yeah, yep, yeah. That's it. If you if you turn the camera away from Malcolm looking over the uh, the railing at the the coastline, you'd see you'd see all that there. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's when we cut back to uh, Eric and Grant walking through the jungle and Eric holds up the claw and asks Alan if he knows what this is. And um, as I was saying before, thanks to HD, we get to see the 720 on um, on Alan's arm, which uh, I'm guessing AM 720 at night. I don't think there'll be this much light. Mm-hmm. But as the minute ends, Grant takes the claw and says, yeah, it's a raptor claw. I used to have one, which... I know a lot of fans will always question why the hell did you throw that thing away in Jurassic Park, <laughs> especially with the park on the Fritz. Or oh, I suppose he didn't know it was on the Fritz at that time, but it wasn't going to stop paleontology. No one, no one learned about the park after that. I think it was more symbolic for him than anything. He, it was basically meant to show him giving up his love of dinosaurs and simply accepting the concept of being a family person. Of course, that didn't work out later in the sequels, but <laughs> I think that's what um, it was meant to be implied as in the movie. Okay. Or metaphorically or whatever. Well, yeah. <laughs> you don't have kids running around with scissors. You imagine kids running around for <laughs> raptor fossil. <laughs> Technically, he could get in a lot of trouble depending on... I think it was implied that Hammond was sponsoring him, but still... You could get a lot of trouble from, because he also worked for the Museum of the Rockies, and he could get in trouble from them for basically stealing fossils from the dig site. Well, and then yeah, he never I, brings it back. Yeah, I, I don't think paleontologists, paleontologists sit there, and if they find a Trinosaur skull, they just take a tooth out of it and wrap it around their neck as, as a necklace. Or Yeah, it's, it's odd that he's carrying that thing around. Not only that, but, um, like, the skeletons he dug up in both Snake Water in the first movie and at, what was it, Fort Peck in the third? Yeah. They were nearly complete skeletons, and that is extremely, <laughs> extremely rare. So, I mean, that's, like, basically a career-making find. And he goes and steals from it? He's gonna gonna flub the paperwork when it goes in, and everyone's cataloging the piece. And where's where's the left toe? Where's the claw? Uh, lost. <laughs> uh, I left it on a dinosaur island in Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it'd be documented with photos when, as it's being uncovered, especially as you said, being a complete mm-hmm. skeleton, it everything would be documented. So you'd have to get in and steal it. <laughs> But a lot of times, as paleontologists dig up fossils, they have like a little kind of um, 
uh, layout of the of the bones that they're finding, and they color in which bones they're finding. Yeah, you know, yeah. but it's basically, I mean, it's simple, but it's basically the easiest way to confirm which bones you're finding it as you're finding them. You know, <laughs> oh. and, he's, and he's probably got like the claw filled in, and then and now he's gonna have to go back and I don't know if he he's gonna, how he's gonna erase that. <laughs> well, if he's if he's only got students working there, I'm sure a threat to uh, give you bad grades or something. <laughs> Or a bad recommendation might be enough to uh, make someone look the other way, but mm-hmm. yeah, it'd, it'd make a better story for the skeleton to find if the claw was missing. Maybe it um, had broken off in into a um, into a into prey or something. But yeah, you'd still have the indent. You'd have the... Where, where's this puzzle piece? But uh, that's it for the film itself, Dave. Anything else on that before we get into the script and novel? I think we're good. All right. In the uh, in the script, as last minute, we sort of only get the uh, the morning of them leaving the tanker and cut straight to uh, Eric showing Grant the claw here. But uh, in the novel, we sort of continue the jumbled around scenes. Grant tells Eric that they need to head for the coast, and Eric says, "What about Mum and Dad?" Grant says, "They went through the compound already and uh, didn't find you. The coast is where they'll be heading next." So. Grant here sort of letting Eric know where their travels have been. They've already been to the compound. We didn't find you there. and it's So now next thing's to uh, head to the coast. Then we get a little bit of dialogue. Well, we get the dialogue about the water and bigger things being near it. Um, the two walk in silence after that, worried that too much talking will attract the animals. And they come to a clearing and a ridge that looks down over a distant river, far below, half shrouded in fog. Which would have been a good little scene to see in the film. It's sort of reminiscing of the... Uh, the gatherer, or the yeah, the Malcolm's team coming up to the ridge and looking down to see Inja and unpacking the containers and starting the um, the roundup in the script for the Lost World that we never got to see there either. But um, Alan sees a derelict barge resting on the riverbank and there's the same sort of dialogue about it as in the film. And after Grant says we'll follow the river to the, the coastline, uh, Eric goes on um, or goes to open his mouth, but Grant stops him and sort of just says, we'll keep looking for your parents along the way as well. Um, with any luck, the Costa Rican Coast Guard will pick us up. So again, he's sort of, you can see Eric was going to ask the question and he's just reassuring the uh, the boy that, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for your parents while we're making our way to the coast. And um, excitedly, Eric asks, then we get to go home, and Grant nods, then we go home. So again, sort of keeping that, um, keeping the motivation there and keeping Eric happy, but I found weird they mentioned the Costa Rican Coast Guard there. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think you get the I don't think you get them this far out. <laughs> I don't even know if Costa Rica has a Coast Guard. I really don't either. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I'm not gonna go back to the start of the script now, but I, I don't think the um the oh, we get the whole restricted missile sauna with the um well, that plane, that plane was either UN or American Coast Guard flying over it. It wasn't... It wouldn't have been the Costa Rican Coast Guard at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. And then later when the um, the Navy and the Marines turn up, it's all American. There's no... There's no Costa Rican ships there as far as we know. They got a Coast Guard. I just Googled. <laughs> it's part of their Civil Guard. But yeah. They got cutters and stuff like that. They got like full-fledged Coast Guard cutters. Oh, you know, yeah, pretty big boats. 
anything that's like the size of the United States stuff, but they got pretty good boats. Pretty good sized boats on there. Well, I suppose without looking at any material or Googling it, surely they'd have issues with poachers down there and the best way to get animals out of Costa Rica and back to America would be via the coast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe the Coast Guard, it wouldn't be as important as, say, between Cuba and Florida with all the drugs and that sort of thing. But, yeah, Coast Guard would be would be useful down there or needed. But that's 51. Dave, anything else you want to discuss on that before we get heavy for the week? Yeah, I think we're pretty good on that. All right, lovely. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is drasticminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on Earth or Heaven. Get me on that island. You desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the it's the dinosaur there!